0: Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Instinct. If you're listening to me on the podcast, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We post weekly here every single Wednesday, and you are not going to want to miss it. And if you're watching me on YouTube, make sure you go ahead and do the same. We post every Thursday, and you won't want to miss that either. Now, if you're watching me on YouTube, you can probably tell that we are in a different setting today. We are filming this episode in a studio, so if you notice the difference, that is what it is. But as you can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the solved case of Kate Waring. Kate was 28 years old when she was brutally murdered on July 12, 2009. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Now, Kate Waring, like I said, was 28 years old, and she was the middle child of three siblings growing up. She had her older brother, Joe, and her younger brother, Richard. So she was right in the middle of the two of them, and Kate grew up in a pretty well-off family in South Carolina. Her parents Janice and Tom wanted the absolute best for their children. Their house was located on a very prominent street called The Battery, located in Charleston, South Carolina. And Kate's childhood consisted of all of the finer things. She went to dance lessons and birthday parties. She was really popular. She had a lot of friends and she had an absolute passion for animals. That was something that really, really tugged at her heartstrings. And she spent a lot of time volunteering at animal shelters. Now, Kate had a very close relationship with both of her parents, in particular, she had a very, very close relationship with her father, Tom. Tom has even said that Kate was the love of his life. She was his only daughter, and Kate really had Tom wrapped around his finger. However, despite Kate's idyllic childhood, she did struggle a little bit as well. There were times in Kate's life where she struggled with an eating disorder as well as depression. And as she grew up into her later teenage years, Kate definitely grew a little bit more of a rebellious side to her. She was always willing to take a risk, no matter what the cost was, and no matter what the consequence was, and that was something that very much worried her family, and her family was also let in on a little bit of a secret when Kate went off to college. Kate had confessed to her family and confided in her family that she had actually been sexually abused by someone who was very close to the Waring family when Kate was a child. Now, obviously, Kate's parents were completely appalled by this, and they wanted to do everything that they could to help their daughter. So they ended up putting Kate in therapy, hoping that that would get her back on the right track with things. And at first, it seemed to be going really well. Now, even though therapy was one of the outlets that was working well for Kate, she did also dabble in a couple other unhealthier outlets as well. Kate started drinking very heavily, and she also started experimenting with some drug use. Now with this mix of drinking and doing drugs, Kate really did hit rock bottom and her parents noticed it. So they basically told Kate to come home and live with them for a little bit until she was able to get her life sorted out again. And so Kate agreed to do this. Now, while Kate was living at home, her father, Tom, decided to take an interesting approach with his daughter. He basically told her that she could pick anywhere in the world that she would want to travel to, and the two of them would go there together and make a vacation out of this. Tom thought that this would be a perfect idea to kind of start a new chapter for Kate and really put her on the right path and have a really nice experience that they could share together. And Kate was all on board with this idea as well. The two of them ended up going to the Arctic circle because Kate wanted to see the polar bears. Again, this is another example of her love for animals. So the two of them went on this vacation together. And according to Tom, this was a very revolutionary trip for Kate. Kate realized on this trip that she could finally start living a different life, a life that she wanted and a life that she was excited about. Tom even remembers Kate turning to him at one point during the trip and saying, quote, I don't have to settle for what I've settled for, do I? end quote. So this was a very big turning point for Kate and even after this vacation, Kate's family and friends noticed a very big difference in her. She was a lot more positive of a person and she just overall seemed happier. Her drug and alcoholic tendencies did come to a stop and she was still living at home at this time trying to sort out what her next step was. Now interestingly enough, while Kate was on this trip to the Arctic Circle, she did end up meeting a man and this was a Russian man that she had met on the cruise ship when she was out looking at the polar bears. Kate and this man really did seem to hit it off. They completely vibed, and Kate was really excited about this, thinking that this could be a potential relationship opportunity for her, so much so that she actually decided to go to Russia herself and visit this man. She visited him in Moscow and actually started to plan attending school in Moscow, and that was going to be the next chapter that she was going to start. However, she did have a little bit of trouble with her visa, so she wasn't able to go over there. So in turn, she had to go back to Charleston. Now, during the time where Kate was trying to work on getting her visa approved, she did go back to Charleston and she was working on that while also simultaneously working on writing a children's book, which was something that was really exciting for her and her family. Her brother, Joe, says that he's never seen Kate happier than during that period of time after Russia. This was a huge turning point in her life and she finally seemed like she was heading in the right direction and everyone was so excited for her. Now let's talk about June 12th, 2009. So this started out as a very typical day for the Waring family. However, once the evening rolled around, Tom realized that something was very, very wrong. Uh, On the day of June 12th, Kate was really the only one that was at her house that day. All of her other family members were off doing things, running errands, working. So Kate was really the only one there. And how Kate and her family typically operated is that when her other family members would go off and do the things that they needed to do, they would always check in with Kate. Kate would always call them, let them know what her plans were for the day, let them know where she was going, when she would be back. And Kate's father realized on June 12th, once the late afternoon rolled around, that he had not heard from Kate all Day. And this was a very big red flag for him. Considering Kate's previous lifestyle, he was always sure to check in with Kate and always had that constant communication. So, to not hear from Kate all day was a very big red flag. So, Tom ended up calling his wife and having his wife go back to the house to check in on Kate. Now, when Kate's mom walked into Kate's bedroom, all of her bedroom lights were still on and her belongings were all there as well, indicating that wherever Kate was, she She was planning on coming back another big indication that wherever she was she was planning on returning was the fact that kate had left her medication in her bedroom her brand new prescription bottle of her medication and kate's mom knew kate never would go Anywhere without this medication. This medication was quite literally Kate's lifeline, and she was fully aware of that. So, wherever she went, Kate's mom was pretty confident that Kate would come back because she had to get her medication. However, by the time the next morning rolled around on June 13th and Kate still wasn't home and no one had heard from her, Kate's parents really did start to worry. They didn't know where she was or what she was out doing and really was worried that she could have relapsed again and was out somewhere and needed their help and they couldn't find her. Now they decided to give her until Monday the 15th before calling the police. But on Monday the 15th, Tom ended up getting a phone call from Kate's bank. And the bank called Tom because there had been a man who had tried to cash a check that was signed by Kate. Now, this check was for $4,500. And like I said, it was signed by Kate Waring and was issued to a man named Ethan Mack. Now, there was surveillance footage of Ethan standing at the counter at the bank waiting for this check to be cashed. However, the problem here was that Kate barely had $100 in her bank account, so the check couldn't go through. And the bank themselves thought that this situation was very odd and a little bit suspicious, which is why they reached out to Tom. Now, Tom had no idea who Ethan was when they heard his name. He had never heard of Ethan Mack before. However, he figured that this very well could have been a friend of Kate's that he had just never heard of before. Again, Kate was 28 years old. She was going to know people and going to have friends that her parents weren't going to be super familiar with. So in the very beginning, this didn't seem like too much of a red flag. And Tom's intuition of this just being a friend of Kate's was correct. Tom actually learned that Ethan Mack was a friend of Kate's. The two of them had known each other for years, and Ethan was like a second big brother almost. He was known as her protector, and he didn't let anyone mess with Kate. And all of Kate's friends knew that. But the relationship was never romantic. It was actually very, very platonic. There was no romance whatsoever, and people have said that it was actually more of a sibling relationship than anything else. And along with that, Kate was even the godmother of Ethan's nephew. So you could. Imagine imagine the confusion that Ethan had when police showed up at his door to question him about the check. Now, according to Ethan, this was a check that Kate had told him to cash. He said that he had given Kate a lot of money for her to buy jewelry and other things for herself in the past and this was simply Kate paying him back. He said that the last time he saw Kate was on Friday night, the 12th, and the two of them went out to dinner and drinks before driving her home and dropping her off at her family's house. Now, detective detectives looked through Ethan's phone to confirm this and they were able to confirm through the text between Ethan and Kate that the two of them did have dinner together. And authorities took the following step of going to Ethan's home and searching through that as well. This was a home that he shared with his mother and Ethan's mother and him were very eager to let police in and allowed them to look around, allowed them to go into Ethan's room and they didn't find anything there. Now at this point, even though Ethan was very cooperative with the police allowing them into his home and allowing them to check his phone, he was not happy to be in the middle of this investigation at all. He even left a voicemail at the police station one time telling police to stop looking at him because all he ever tried to do was help Kate and be there for Kate and support Kate in any way that he could. And he really felt like they were targeting him. So in short, Ethan basically told them to leave him alone. And because the police really didn't have anything on Ethan, they searched his house and nothing was there. His story added up with the texts that were on his phone with Kate. Police did have to move past him as a potential person of interest in this case. And what was hard here is that police weren't really even sure if a crime was committed. Because of Kate's past, police thought it was very possible that Kate just could have left on her own. But Kate's parents knew differently. They knew that Kate was trying to get on the right path. They knew that everything in her life was really adding up perfectly, and they knew that there was no way that she was just going to up and leave after all of the hard work that she had put in. So because of this, they really started looking at what Kate did the day that she went missing. What Friday, June 12th looked like for Kate. So to walk through Kate's day on the 12th, the first thing that she did was she got a ride from her boyfriend at the time. Kate's boyfriend was a man named Howard, and Howard drove Kate to her therapist's office. Because of Kate's past and her history, her license had been revoked, so she was not able to drive anywhere. So if Kate ever wanted to go somewhere, she would always need someone to drive her there and howard was often that person for kate once they started dating so howard ended up driving kate to her therapist's office and after therapy, she went to the gym that Howard worked at and worked out a little bit there before she was seen on surveillance footage at about eight o'clock PM at a local convenience store purchasing wine and some snacks. Now on the surveillance footage at the convenience store, it shows that Kate was on her cell phone with someone and it didn't look like anything was wrong. She wasn't acting strange. She didn't seem frantic. She seemed very, casual. And what authorities piece together is that after Kate went home from this convenience store, she then went to dinner with Ethan and then was home before midnight. That was Kate's series of events on Friday, June 12th. However, after she got dropped off before midnight, Kate was never seen again. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you apartments.com the place to find a place all right you guys welcome back Now, when recounting Kate's series of events that happened on June 12th, Kate's parents also remembered something a little bit off-putting, and that was the fact that Kate had told her parents that she had gotten herself in some trouble. She didn't elaborate on what that trouble was. She didn't give any details. All she told her parents was that she was worried because she got herself in some trouble, and when her parents asked her to elaborate on that, asked her what she meant by that, Kate wouldn't say, anything. So to this day, we don't know what the trouble Kate was referring to was. Now, June turned to July and July turned to August and there was still no sign of Kate. No one had heard from her and no one had seen her. And at this point, Kate's parents were very frustrated because they felt like the police had really given up on finding Kate because of her past. But just when Kate's parents were worried that the police could have given up on her, this is when they finally got the help that they were looking for. There was a group of retired policemen who came together and were formed by a man named Andy Savage, who was a criminal defense attorney. And this team that he had assembled were almost like their own organized unit responsible solely for finding Kate. The reason Andy was brought into this at all was because Andy was good friends with Tom, Kate's father's best friend. So they had a mutual connection and that is how they got together. By the time Tom's best friend had connected Andy into the case, Andy had heard of Kate's case. However, he was told by police themselves that they weren't sure if foul play was involved in Kate's case because of her history. Now let's talk about who this organized unit consisted of. So at first we have Andy Savage, like I said, and then we have a man in named Bobby Minter, who was basically known for being able to track down people without them knowing. He was essentially just like a really good spy or a really good people watcher and no one would ever know that he was there. Along with that, you had Billy Caps, who was a brilliant tech wizard who could trace back anything anywhere on the internet. Along with that, you had James Randolph, who was an ex-detective who was known for doing whatever it takes to try and find someone, even if that meant going against the protocol strategy. And lastly, you had Eugene Frazier, who was a retired homicide detective. Now, this group of men started referring to themselves as the A-team, and that is what they called themselves. And their only job, their sole purpose, was finding Kate wearing at this point. And James decided that the best way to do this was by starting out in Kate's bedroom where she lived. He thought that by really putting himself in the environment that Kate was in on a daily basis, that he would be able to figure out where Kate had gone. And the two things that James noticed when he went into Kate's bedroom were first the unused prescription bottle of Kate's medication. Again, like I said earlier, this is not something that Kate would have ever ever left without and it's not like she just poured out the pills and left the bottle this was a completely unopened bottle of medication. Now the second thing that James found to be very odd was the fact that Kate had Chinese money laying out on her bed and no one could figure out why this was there was no purpose for this and no one could figure out what the connection was there. Now the next step in this was Bill who again was the technology guy went on Kate's social media and really started tracking when her last use of social media was. Bill said that before Kate had went missing, she used Facebook all the time. That was her main form of social media. She was constantly uploading pictures and changing her status. She was sending off emails and texts constantly. No matter what, Kate was in constant communication with someone at all times. However, what Bill learned is that the second that Kate went missing on June 12th, all of that communication came to a halt. Bill also learned that at about 10.06pm on the 12th, Kate had called one of her friends. This friend was named James and she left a voicemail to James and this voicemail basically said that she was worried that someone was trying to steal her identity and she said that someone had taken her credit cards. Now her boyfriend Howard also heard from Kate at about 10 30 p.m on the 12th when she was at dinner with Ethan and then he got one more call from her around midnight. Now, Howard did pick up the phone call that he received at about midnight and said that on the other line, Kate had said that she was at a friend's house and that she sounded a little tipsy now shortly after this last phone call Kate sent a text to her boyfriend Howard and this would be the last known communication that Kate would have with anyone she told Howard quote I'm off to Greenville to pick up some lovely I'll be back in a few days end quote now Howard to this day says that he has no idea what lovely meant or what that was referring to and he didn't really ask any questions all he told her was was to be careful and that he would talk to her later. However, that never happened. The last activity from Kate's cell phone came at 1.53 a.m. when Kate's phone called her own voicemail. In that specific call, pinged from an area called James Island. Now James Island was a couple miles away from where Kate lived, and it was also not the closest tower to her house. So if Kate did make that call from her house, it would have pinged at a different tower. So that showed that at 1.53 a.m., Kate was not at home. Now this also sparked the question of why would Kate be calling her own voicemail? She had never done that before, and her voicemail had actually been completely full from months. So this left the A team to believe that someone else was in possession of Kate's phone at this point. Now Eugene Frazier, the retired homicide detective, was very familiar with James Island. One day he had visited the island and that's when he came across a man. And Eugene started talking to this man about the Kate Waring case. And this man had some insight information on this case, surprisingly enough. This man had told Eugene that police had spoken to a man named Ethan Mack. Now, obviously with Eugene being familiar with this case, he was already aware who Ethan Mack was and that the police had spoken to him. But this is when this man disclosed a new piece of information that Eugene was not aware of. This man told Eugene that he thought it was strange that the police went to Ethan's mother's house to search for any possible clues or evidence because that's not where Ethan lived. This man told Eugene that Ethan lived in an apartment on James island, and you might be sitting there wondering, how does this man know that Ethan lives in an apartment on James Island and not with his mother? And the reason for that would be the fact that this man was actually Ethan Mack's landlord. Once Eugene heard this new piece of information, it automatically clicked to him because he thought it was very possible that Ethan had brought police to his mother's house and let them in with open arms and allowed them to search through his home to try and get them off track because that's not where he lived. Now, once the A-Team had this information, they also realized that police never really did a thorough investigation of Ethan's mother's house. They just walked in, they didn't have a search warrant, they didn't really look very thoroughly through his belongings, and they never followed up with him again after that. Now, after looking more into Ethan Mack, the A-Team also realized that Ethan had a girlfriend, and Ethan's girlfriend's name was Heather camp. Now, when the A-team brought this name to Kate's parents, this name rung a bell to Kate's mother. Janice remembers that months prior to Kate's disappearance, she was at home one day and heard some voices coming from Kate's bedroom. She walked into Kate's room, and that's when she noticed that Kate was not alone. Kate was actually with a friend of hers, and Kate introduced her friend as Heather Camp. Kate told her mom that Kate had met Heather while she was on the train coming back from Washington when Kate was trying to get her visa sorted out so she could go to Russia. So basically, Kate met Heather on the train back to South Carolina. When Kate and Heather met, Heather told Kate that she had gotten her wallet stolen and she had absolutely no money. She had nowhere to go. So Kate, being the person that she was, told Heather that she would help her out while she was trying to get everything sorted out. Heather Camp was 31 years old and Kate told her mother, not to worry because Heather was a pediatric surgeon starting her job in the next couple days, so Heather would be able to pay Kate back. Now, there was an instance that always stuck out to Kate's mother, and that was the fact that Kate had gone to Janice just a couple days after she introduced her to Heather and told her mom that Heather's daughter had actually been involved in a fatal car accident in New Jersey. Now, something that Janice always thought was a little strange and off. Putting was the fact that Heather never seemed too bothered by the fact that her so-called daughter had died in this car accident. She never went back to New Jersey, and that always stuck out as a red flag to Janice, as it would to most people. Now, when the A-team looked more into Heather and her background, they saw that she had been arrested in Indiana for forgery, and they also had found out that she had been impersonating a doctor. Now, with this piece of information, and having Heather being a possible missing link here, the A-team brought this information to authorities, but authorities didn't really want to hear it. They kind of chalked it up as Ethan and Heather being petty criminals, but not being involved in any way in Kate's disappearance. At this point, the A-team knew that they needed to come up with a strategic plan and that the police were not going to listen to them unless they came up with hardcore evidence and hardcore proof that Ethan and Heather had something to do with Kate's disappearance. Because at this point, what we know is that Ethan was the last person seen with Kate the night that she went missing. Kate's phone call is pinged in James Island, which is where Ethan lives, and she calls her voicemail at 1.53 a.m. So that is what we know about the hours leading up into Kate's disappearance. Now, with this information, Eugene actually went back to Ethan's landlord and asked if it was okay if he put a security camera outside of Ethan's apartment. That way they would be able to track where Ethan was going, where Heather was going, what they were doing, because they just wanted to have surveillance on them. And the landlord agreed to do this. The A-Team even took it a step further and attached a GPS system to Ethan's car. That way, they would always know where he was at all times. Now, after watching the GPS system for a little bit, the A-Team realized that Ethan was spending a lot of time going to different pawn shops. So the A-Team would then follow Ethan and go to these pawn shops after he had left and walk in and see what he was selling. Now, Ethan was selling to these pawn shops different pieces of jewelry. Now, despite selling this jewelry, it wasn't clear who this jewelry belonged to. So the A-Team was not able to directly link this jewelry with Kate. Now, along with this, the landlord had gotten to a point where he was planning on evicting Ethan and Heather. They weren't paying their rent, and obviously because of that, this landlord had to evict them. However, if Ethan and Heather were to be evicted, this kind of ruins the entirety of the A-team's plan with watching them on surveillance because they felt that they were so close to figuring out what happened to Kate. They knew that Ethan and Heather were the missing link here as to figuring out what happened to Kate that day. So because of this, the A-team went to the landlord and basically begged him to not evict Heather and Ethan, and they decided to have the landlord write up a contract that basically said that Ethan and Heather would pay their rent in IOUs, which if you don't know, stands for exactly how it sounds, which is I-O-U, and it's a document that acknowledges debt. IOUs acknowledge debt as well as acknowledge when the debt is to be paid back, and the landlord had Ethan and Heather both sign an IOU document. Now here's what Ethan and Heather didn't know. What Ethan and Heather didn't know was when they signed this document, the A-Team took the document and sent it off to a handwriting specialist because they wanted to see if they could link either Ethan or Heather's handwriting to the signature on the check that Ethan brought to the bank for the $4,500 the day after Kate went missing. They basically wanted to see if either Ethan or Heather had forged Kate's signature. And after analyzing it, it took a handwriting specialist less than a day to confirm that the writing on the check was actually Heather's handwriting. Now at this point, the A-Team wanted to get into Ethan and Heather's apartment to see if they could find any evidence of Kate having been there. So again, they came up with a plan. They decided to have the landlord go in there to spray for bugs, which was not what they were doing. That was just a cover up. And the A team also decided that they were going to have James go with the landlord and act as if he is the exterminator. Now, when James and the landlord got there, they walked in and Ethan was sitting on the couch, something that they were not expecting. They had actually thought at the time that Ethan was not going to be home because they tracked the GPS on his car. However, Heather had actually taken his car. So that was why his car wasn't there. However, Ethan was still in the house. So with Ethan still being in the apartment, James had to act fast. He walked in, pretended that he was the exterminator, said that he was going to walk around the area, and Ethan didn't think anything of it. James had asked Ethan to wait outside while he walked through the apartment, and Ethan agreed to do so. And when James was walking around the apartment, he found Ethan backpack, and he actually opened it up and looked inside of it. When he looked inside of this backpack, he found Chinese money inside of it, just like the Chinese money that he found in Kate's bedroom. But after scouring through that entire apartment, that was the only connection that they could find, so the A-team decided to take, again, a different approach. Right next to where Ethan and Heather lived was a man named Terry Williams. Terry was their neighbor who had been seen on surveillance footage multiple times with Heather, and the A-team basically walked right up to his door with a bag full of money and told Terry that they were aware that Ethan and Heather were the ones that killed Kate, and the A-team told Terry that if he told them where Kate was, then this bag of money was his. So basically, the A-team was bribing Terry, saying, if you tell us where she is, you will get this reward of all of this cash. Now, what the A team didn't know when they were doing this is that Heather was actually at Terry's house at this point. The A-team didn't know that when they had first walked up to the door, and it is suspected that the reason that Heather was there was because her and Terry were having an affair. So while Heather was hiding in the house, she heard what the A-team was telling Terry, and she went absolutely ballistic. She ran out of this house, called Ethan on the phone, and said that the police were trying to get Terry to rat on them, essentially. Now, because of the massive commotion, that this caused the a-team knew that they were not going to get anywhere at this point so they ended up leaving terry's house but they were very surprised when they got a phone call from terry just a couple days later when terry called the a-team he invited them back to his house and when they showed up to his home terry told them that he knew that ethan and heather had done something to kate terry ended up walking out of the living room where everyone was he went back to his bedroom and came back out holding an iPod. Terry had told the A-team that Heather had given him this iPod just days after Kate had disappeared and Terry told the A-team that he believed that this iPod belonged to Kate. Now with this iPod, the A-team took it back and did some digging on it. Bill, who was the tech wizard, found the serial number on it and when he did, he was able to confirm that this iPod did in fact belong to Kate Waring. Now the A-Team brought this information to the Charleston Police Department, who then arrested Ethan. Now, with this new piece of information, the A-team knew that this would get authorities to listen, and they were right. They took this new piece of information to the Charleston Police Department, and when they did, they arrested Ethan on the spot. And shortly after that, Heather was also arrested. Now, when Heather first talked to detectives after her arrest, she told them that Kate's body was in a place called Wadmala Island. Now, this island is 20 miles away way from Kate's home, and police immediately went out there to search it, and when the A-team heard that police were searching it out there, they also went there as well. However, the A-team was not responsible and was not allowed to really investigate the area, so they stood back and watched as police basically scoured through this entire island. Police brought out a search team and cadaver dogs. However, they were unsuccessful in finding Kate. They searched all day, but could not find her. Now, at Heather and Ethan's bond hearing, one of the members of the A-team, Andy Savage, noticed something. Ethan had all of this support from his family and his friends who were showing up at the courthouse. He really had a strong support system with him. However, Heather had absolutely no one, and because of this, Andy thought that they could really use the fact that Heather had no one to their advantage. They thought that because Heather felt no support from anyone, especially from Ethan, that maybe she would start talking because she felt so alone. Now, when Heather saw the A-team, she explained to them that she was promised all of this help from police if she told them where Kate's body was, which is why she sent them to Wadmala Island, because it was a test. Heather knew that Kate's body was not at Wadmala Island, but she wanted to see if investigators would follow through on their promise, and so she set up this entire test for them, which they failed, and she just felt completely betrayed. Now, this is when Andy Savage came up with a new deal for Heather. He told Heather that if she told them exactly where Kate's body was, and if she had nothing to do with Kate's murder, that Andy would help her out on her forgery charges. Now, looking back, Kate's forgery charges were the least of her problems. However, Andy Savage put that out as kind of an olive branch for Heather at that point, and Heather agreed. Heather told the A-team that Kate's body was on Polly Point Road, which is on Wadmala Island, and she gave them the exact direction on how to find it. Now, at this point, the a team thought that this was it. They finally found it, so they raced over to Polly Point Road. However, Kate was not there. Now, obviously, the A-team felt defeated. They were frustrated, and they didn't know where to turn. They felt like they were on a wild goose chase and that Heather was just playing them left and right, but they decided to go back again to Polly Point Road the next morning, and when they went back, they found her. Kate's body was recovered six minutes into their second search after being missing for four Months Once the A-team discovered Kate's body, they called police to inform them and then informed Kate's family. After an autopsy was conducted, the medical examiner was not able to conclude a cause of death on Kate. In August 2009, Heather Camp pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter, obstruction of justice, and forgery. Now, what investigators quickly figured out about Heather was that she was a con artist. She was a con artist who saw Kate on this train back to South Carolina and knew that she was her next victim. Heather had conned up to 13 men and women over the years coming up with these absurd stories about how her children had fatal illnesses or that her husband beat her so she had to leave, all which were lies that were jumping her from conning one person on to the next. Heather had multiple aliases, such as Angelica Camp and Angelica Lopez. And this entire time, she was also pretending to be a doctor. And not only was Heather pretending to be a doctor, Heather was actually giving out medical advice. And she even went as far as diagnosing a six-year-old with bipolar disorder and low calcium levels, which was not true and Heather knows absolutely nothing about. It's very clear to note that Heather does not have a medical degree and authorities learned that the reason that Heather would con one person to the next, her motive behind conning people was just doing whatever she could to gain from them, whether that was a place to stay, whether that was money. Heather is a narcissist. She thrives off of the fact that knowing that people want her and need her. It's all about her and feeding her ego all of the time. She presented herself as this super important person that could help people However, also had all of these sob stories, none of which were true. So Heather pled guilty, meaning that she did not have to stand trial for any of the charges against her. However, when it came to Ethan Mack, his trial began in October 2010. Now, in the trial against Ethan and after speaking to Heather, the prosecution was able to come up with a series of events of what had happened on June 12th. Prosecution claimed that Kate had learned that Heather was a con artist. She learned that Heather had been lying to her, was taking money from her, and had been stealing and using Kate's credit cards. And it is believed that Kate had found out about this on the night of June 12th. And the prosecution claimed that Kate felt very betrayed by this, obviously, and ended up threatening Heather, saying that she was going to tell her father about everything that Heather was doing and that Heather was going to be in a lot of trouble. Prosecution said, quote, Kate Waring has figured it out. She figured out that she's not a doctor. She figured out that she's been running scams. The confrontations began and the rocky road began and Ethan Mack made the choice and he didn't choose his friend, he chose his girlfriend end quote." Now, according to Heather, she said that Ethan wasn't the only one at dinner with Kate on the night of the 12th. Heather claimed that she was also there. And after dinner, the three of them had gone back to Ethan and Heather's apartment and they decided to dare Kate to see if she could fit in a suitcase. Yes, they tried to see if Kate could fit in a suitcase. They dared Kate for $20 to see if she could fit herself in this suitcase that is what heather said happened and kate agreed to do this so she got into the suitcase but once she got into this suitcase this game turned into a nightmare once kate was in the suitcase ethan had brought out a taser and began tasing kate while she was inside of the suitcase He then unzipped the suitcase and hit Kate over the head with a wine bottle before smothering her with a pillow until she was unconscious. After Kate was unconscious, Heather then turned the water on in their bathtub and dragged Kate's body and placed her into the tub, essentially leaving her to drown. Now, what honestly is insane here is that Heather claims that her only part during all of this, and she actually uses the word only, she says the only thing that she had to do with this was holding down the suitcase while Kate was being tased as well as filling up the bathtub with water that Kate was left to drown in. Heather Camp was sentenced to 39 years in prison after being charged with obstruction of justice and forgery. And after his trial, Ethan Mack was also found guilty and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Now, this is one wild goose chase of a case. It involves a con woman and a friend who turned into a murderer and a web of lies. However, the only justice that really comes from this case is the fact that both Heather and Ethan are both behind bars will be there for a long time and hopefully will not have the chance to hurt anyone else. I think it is interesting that Ethan received a lesser sentence than Heather. However, again, you have to take into account that Heather also had all of those previous charges. Investigators truthfully believe that Heather had targeted Kate the second she saw her on that train, knew that that was her next victim that she was going to con, and that is what led to all of this. She found Ethan through Kate and started dating him, and it was ultimately when Kate figured out Heather's web of lies. That is what led to her death. And that, you guys, is the case of Kate Waring. All right, you guys, that is the end of this episode today. If you are listening to me on the podcast, again, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it. Also, make sure you go ahead and share this podcast as well with anyone you know who loves a good true crime case. The more exposure we can get on these cases the better chance these cases have of being solved of tips coming in and finally getting justice for these victims so make sure you go ahead and share if you're watching me on youtube make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well that way you never miss an episode either we post every thursday and you're not going to want to miss that as well i'll be back next week with a brand new one for you guys and until then stay safe bye guys